Hello and welcome to the latest episode of TI Talk Supply Chains. I'm your host, Kirsty Adams, editor of Logistics Briefing. China is being decoupled from global supply chains. Kenya's internet penetration is increasing rapidly and Saudi Arabia is flexing its muscles as a low risk, low cost and low carbon economy. Would you like to hear a bit more about these emerging markets? This episode contains some really useful information for you. It focuses on the key findings from our 2023 Agility Emerging Markets Logistics Index. The index was published early this year, and it's a report which TI has published every year for the last 14 years alongside partner Agility. The index ranks countries based on their logistics strengths, business climates, and digital readiness. I was involved in some of the editing of the index, mainly proofreading, and it really does share some useful data, and it tells stories about how nations are transforming and what this means for supply chains. In this episode, you'll hear some of those stories. But you can also download the report for free. I'll add the link to the show notes as usual. So we're going to talk to the research team behind the report. That's Vicky, our research manager, Nathan, who heads up the data team, and TI founder, Professor John Manners-Bell, who I managed to pin down just after the Easter break. Before we focus on the report, I'm just going to bring John in to add a bit of context about political tensions and their impact on supply chains. It's a topic that he discusses a lot on stages across the globe. It's absolutely critical to understand the full implications of geopolitical tensions and the impact they're having on supply chains. Uh, Certainly uh, in my working life over the last 20, 30 years or so, I don't think I've ever experienced uh, an environment in in which politics is having so much of an impact on on economics, the wider economic market, but also on supply chains uh, as as well, of course. And this has come about, um, well, over the last few years, I'd I'd say, obviously, when we had uh, Donald Trump in in the White House, he initiated a whole range of different uh, tariffs which were aimed against. China. But even before then, over the previous 10 years, since the 2008-2009 Great Recession, we'd seen a ratcheting up of uh, trade regulations, tariffs, non-tariff barriers, for example, being put in place by Obama, uh, but also by a whole range of different um, governments around the world. And uh, so I think that that's, that started to change. Now, with the, the heightened tension with China, we're really seeing that um, there's been a, a again, moving up to a different level of uh, geopolitical tension, obviously over Taiwan. And uh, we've seen in the last few days that uh, China have started their sort of military exercises to show the rest of the world that they are able to blockade Taiwan. Uh, and that's having an impact, of course, over the export of advanced technologies, which again has been banned by the Biden administration this time round. So what we're seeing is that supply chains are developing being bifurcated so that the one supply chain is developing for for China and it's um, the countries within its spheres of influence, 
specifically those in the uh, Belt and Road Infrastructure Initiative that they've uh, established, and another set of supply chains developing for high-tech companies and countries which support the West. So we're seeing a a whole range of different geopolitical tensions start to impact and, and really have really quite a material impact on supply chains happening right now. And of course, as, as we move on, as these tensions increase, we're only likely to see those changes uh, increase as well. I think obviously we've been through this the whole COVID uh, experience and that has shown governments in Europe and in North America that they can't rely on sourcing goods from China. I mean, it was only a few months ago that we saw the lockdowns in in China being lifted. Up to that point, we'd seen major and and massive disruptions to supply chains uh, on a month-by-month basis. Um, So I think there's been a big change of ethos, change of approach by governments in the West. They now understand that they they need to ensure that their economies are no longer dependent on China to the extent they have been. Manufacturers and retailers are also understanding that, and that's given rise to a lot of the the China Plus strategies which are being put in place, uh, which are are supporting the growth of economies outside of China, for example, in the the fashion industry, even the the high-tech industry. We're seeing uh, Apple look at uh, moving its manufacturing uh, out to to India, for some of its manufacturing out to India. So there are big changes afoot. A lot of these relate to the geopolitical tensions. Some of them relate, I suppose, to COVID, but they are actually... Within that, there are also these COVID tensions are also impacting on geopolitics, uh, mistrust uh, in supply chains. And that's that's leading to all these changes I've been talking about. Some really useful points there. Thank you, John. Okay, come and meet Vicky, Research Manager at Transport Intelligence. Vicky's focus for the index was survey analysis. China was ranked number one in the index, so I think that's a good place to start. We're going to dive into the point of the interview where I asked Vicky, what does the survey tell us about China's trajectory? We did ask quite a few questions on um, China and its outlook. When compared to the other emerging markets, China will fare better according to our results. And more specifically, it is expected to see the strongest economic growth of all the emerging markets that we examined in the survey. So that means that despite all of the headwinds and and problems the country experiences, survey respondents were quite optimistic about uh, its growth when compared to the other emerging markets. But then if we dig a little bit deeper, the findings show a more nuanced reality and a more pessimistic story, uh, which is mainly that uh, China is gradually losing its allure as an investment destination. For instance, uh, the survey shows that the future plans of businesses and the future reconfigured supply chains are increasingly bypassing China. And from 2023 onwards, Southeast Asia and India will actually be more attractive production and sourcing destinations than China, according to the survey data. And we know that there have been a number of manufacturers already that have uh, started moving at least some uh, manufacturing out of China. Apple, for instance, have accelerated their shift out of China and they've been moving 
assembly of certain products uh, out of the country for a couple of years now, for instance, for the iPad and other companies such as Samsung and LG Electronics have also closed some factories in China. And then uh, it seems that China's strict anti-COVID policies were the main reason why companies have moved production and sourcing out of China, according to the survey data. The business environment and the fact that doing business in China has become more difficult recently is the second most significant driver and reason behind the decision to move out of the country. Despite all of this, it is likely that this reconfiguration of supply chains will result in companies diversifying their supply chains away from China rather than completely exiting the country. For instance, around 40% of respondents stated that they will move production out of China or or reduce investments. But then a similar proportion of uh, respondents stated that they will continue with their expansion and entry plans in China. So that means that despite this evidence of supply chains undergoing structural changes, we shouldn't actually expect a mass exodus of manufacturers but only that certain parts of supply chains will be relocated out of China. This is because some of the supply chains are so complex and and fine-tuned that moving them would be simply too expensive and too uh, risky. And um, as a result of this, the outcome of this reconfiguration is likely to be an Asian network that is less focused on China and more diverse. What are the other key findings in the report? And what results came as a surprise? Probably one of the most significant findings is that global supply chains are on the move. For instance, almost 90% of respondents stated that they are reshaping their post-COVID supply chains. And the results show that many businesses have made structural changes to their uh, networks, including multi-shoring, onshoring, friend-shoring, um, etc. For example, one quarter of respondents have moved production or sourcing to multiple locations in order to diversify and to lower their supply chain risk. And around 20% of supply chain executives have moved more production and sourcing to their home markets. These findings suggest that sourcing from the cheapest locations or from dominant suppliers is increasingly being perceived as a high-risk decision. And the pandemic actually has made this need to uh, reduce dependencies on particular countries even more obvious, even more pronounced. And it's very likely that the geopolitical tensions and government uh, incentives from other manufacturing countries will only accelerate this trend of supply chain diversification that we are currently seeing. So China is losing its allure. I wonder what challenges like Apple will have to face in the next few years. If you're one of the supply chain strategists out there who has to manage these types of shifts, It'd be really interesting to hear how you're getting on. Why don't you drop me an email, kadams at ti-insight.com. We'd be interested in hearing about your experience. Hi, I'm Michael, Head of Commercial at TI Insights. I just wanted to interrupt for 30 seconds to tell you a bit more about TI's research and data. TI's research is devised to show you what's happening in the market today. That includes the changes to expect over the next year and the outlook for the industry for the next five to 10 years. This research is delivered with a mix of quantitative forecasts and qualitative insights. 
Our data platform, GSCI, empowers senior leaders at global logistics companies with the strategic intelligence they need to move their business forward. Okay, well, maybe that was slightly longer than 30 seconds. Forgive me. But if you want to find out more, you can email me on mclover at tiinsight.com or visit www.ti-insight.com. This information is also in the show notes. Okay, now we're going to bring in Nathan, one of our economic analysts, and he's going to tell you about the big movers on the 2023 index. You might be surprised. We saw some really big movers this year in the index. Um, That's really the world, looking at the world in this this post-COVID environment, seeing how COVID has really hurt some countries and actually benefited some industries and some industries were able to adapt and take the opportunities that are available to them really well. If we're looking at the overall changes, one that really sticks out is Bangladesh that moved up far places overall on the index. And that's thanks to moving up far places on the domestic sub-index and eight places on the international logistics sub-index. First of all, we have Bangladesh that did really well throughout the pandemic. When I say really well, the growth did suffer a little bit in 2020, but actually it still grew 3.4% during 2020, which was the height of the pandemic. And then jumping back up to 6.9% and 7.2%, 21 and then 22. So Bangladesh's economy was very resilient throughout the pandemic. And this really helped the logistics sector. It still provided goods to the rest of the world and still saw domestic demand within the country as well. So we can see that with the value of import and exports is actually set to grow 45% in the next five years. So real potential, both on domestic side opportunities and the import of goods and the export of goods to the rest of the world. When we're thinking about focusing again in the domestic opportunities, Bangladesh has got the third fastest growing middle class in the world, set to be over 54 million by 2030. That's according to the NGO World Data Lab. So combine this with a a nearly 40% urbanisation rate, it has huge potential um, for further growth into the future and already has a a strong existing demand base. So this bodes really well for the express markets or the contract logistics markets, which are going to be boosted and going to benefit from this growing middle class. And then we combine this e-commerce explosion that we're seeing throughout the world and especially in the region, we expect that will really benefit the express market, the contract logistics market. It already is doing at the moment with 21% growth in e-commerce forecasted in 2023 and a 16% CAGA through to 2027. So again, international and domestic opportunities looking really strong for Bangladesh right now and into the future as well. We can look at Kenya for a similar story as well, where we're seeing it moving three places up overall um, into 25th. And again, This is thanks to a growing middle class and especially when we're looking at these express markets um, and the contract logistics markets that really benefit from the the growing e-commerce at the moment. Well, Kenya actually has one of the world's fastest growing internet penetration rates, which is already seeing e-commerce adoption growing. But combine that with growing internet penetration, it means that the market and the new potential customers is huge in the country. Combine this with then, if we look at trade data, the value of import and exported trade goods is set to grow by $13 billion in the next five years. So again, huge potential. Already now we're seeing huge growth in the e-commerce market 
and overall trade is looking really positive for Kenya in the next five years. Is there any other data points, Nathan, that you think are worth mentioning? If we're looking at international sub-index, Nigeria is one that are really interesting story. So it's up three ranks this year. One thing that we can point out here is its improvement in its um, shipping connectivity. So the Lekki Deep Sea port was completed at the end of 2022, costing a total of $1.5 billion. But this creates huge growth opportunities for increasing trade for Nigeria. It's very close to the large Nigerian cities on the coast. So one example of growing international opportunities in the market and then also supported by a growing population, a young, active population on the internet looking for those opportunities in the world. Another area that's really interesting is um, looking at the GCC countries, especially when we're looking at the the sub-index of digital readiness, which is actually still relatively new in the index. We brought that in last year. We're seeing strong movement from Oman, Bahrain. And what TI has shown in our express market sizing and our e-commerce market sizing is this huge growth in this area at the moment. Again, e-commerce is really showing it and really shining in this area because we have a big population that are already connected to the internet. And now we're seeing the adoption of e-commerce and, and, and this is driving express and the contract logistics markets. And, and so I think that this area is just a really interesting one to look out at at the moment. The logistics infrastructure in the GCC countries is already exists in a lot of places. So it's really ready to take on this e-commerce growth and, and push ahead. And if the logistics industry is, is able to uh, adopt this as quickly as the market is growing, it's going to be huge opportunities for those countries in the next few years. Thanks, Nathan. It's really interesting to hear how many places Bangladesh has moved and how its economy grew during the pandemic. Okay, I'm bringing John back in. He's got some really interesting things to say about Saudi Arabia and Egypt. Well, I think Saudi Arabia is a really good example, actually, of these sort of changing balance of power in, in the world. Obviously, until maybe 10, 20 years ago, supply chains were really... Uh, I suppose you can look at the model in which they were sort of produced, goods were produced in China and they were moved to the West. China joined the WTO in the uh, early 2000s. And along with that, along with this sort of development of the economic development, we've seen a, a lot more political assertiveness. And we're seeing that within Saudi Arabia and a whole range of other emerging markets uh, as, as well. Obviously, since uh, the discovery of oil uh, in the Middle East, Saudi Arabia has become a, a major player politically, but I think it's really starting to flex its muscles, and uh, that's being shown in its um, own programs. It's got its Saudi Vision 2030, which is, I suppose, leveraging all the benefits, economic benefits it's had from oil, uh, and leveraging those into other other sectors. So it's certainly into uh, uh, new energies, for for example. But not only that, also building on its position in the Middle East as as a logistics and transport hub as well. So it's really really positioning itself as a low risk, low cost, and low carbon economy, which is going to encourage investors from around the world to to invest in its in its domestic market. So Saudi is a, is a really good example of an emerging market which is starting to flex its political as well as its economic mu- muscles. We've seen that it's no longer 
wanting to be tied wholly with the United States, which has been its long-term ally. But we're also now seeing it sort of develop its relationship with China, as well as part of the, the Belt and Road Initiative, which had some benefits. We've seen that there's been a rapprochement very recently between Saudi and Iran, which again will uh, impact upon supply chains across the region. But I think it's it's quite worrying for the, for the US because Saudi has shown that it's got its own political agenda and it's becoming probably less aligned with the, the West and more uh, open to trade with India and China. And of course, that will have big impacts on supply chains as well, as there is a sort of Middle East, uh, India, China sphere of influence, sphere of economy develop. And that, that goes against what we've seen in the past, with uh, which have been the sort of north-south, west East supply chains, which have have really characterised the trade and supply chains over over the last few decades. When we were speaking earlier, you mentioned Egypt is a, a country that we should be talking to supply chain strategists about as well. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that's one of the the, the real benefits of the Emerging Markets Index, uh, because it's able to really highlight uh, some of these key markets which are developing strongly. And uh, Egypt's, Egypt's been one of those. It's uh, I think it rose four places to number 22 uh, in terms of international logistics opportunities. And it shows very clearly the benefits of investment. It's, it's, it's put in place a $4 billion investment program. Uh, it's helped with the development of in- industrial parks, public and private. And it's also been successful going down the route of uh, trade reform, which is obviously reducing friction to trade, not only with Europe, which is its main trading partner, but it's uh, joined the African Continental Free Trade Area as well, which is likely to uh, help with the flows of goods right across the continent. So it it does show that if uh, a government puts in place a clearly defined program of liberalisation, but at the same time as that investment in in transport infrastructure and logistics infrastructure, then it, it will rise up the rankings, which will obviously result in economic benefits. You've touched on there about, you know, what the Emerging Markets Index can tell us. Is there anything else you'd like to add to that about what we can learn from this type of research? The index, uh, which has been going for over over a decade now, it's really been successful at highlighting success stories, but at the same time as that, also showing up where emerging markets have not done so well. Just to give you another example, we can see that in terms of business fundamentals, there are six African countries, Angola, Mozambique, Libya, Ethiopia, Nigeria, and Uganda, which are at the, at the bottom of, of the index. And and that's showing a sort of lack of governments, instances of crime, a fragile security environment, as well as as weak uh, infrastructure. At the same time as that, it's not just an Africa-wide story. And this is where the index is really useful because it highlights countries such as Ghana, for example, which rose up six, six places in the index. And it has shown that it's, it's doing, it's done really well by actually addressing many of these problems, which other countries in the region haven't got to grips with. So it highlights really the success stories, a contrast that's against countries which aren't doing so well. And it becomes a model. Model, therefore, for countries to actually follow and compare and contrast their own performance against the best in class. And a final question, death of globalisation or re-globalisation? 
Yeah, we're seeing a whole range of new green legislation. So in Europe, there's been the uh, carbon adjustment border tax that's going to come into place, uh, which is going to uh, make it more difficult for companies to import goods from outside Europe into Europe, but especially from emerging markets. We've seen that the Inflation Reduction Act, which has been put into place by Biden, uh, which is leading to the subsidy of manufacturing in the US. And so therefore, what all this means is that there'll be headwinds to flows of international goods as um, industry becomes more localized or nationalized. We've seen it uh, when uh, Macron was in China just recently talking about uh, strategic autonomy. In his mind, that means that France and the European Union should be reducing their dependence on imports of goods, not just from China, but also from the US as well. Combine that with digital decoupling, so new legislation which is being passed, which is going to make it more difficult to move uh, to for flows of data to move around the world. Combined with that, with these the ideas of ally sourcing. Uh, friend sourcing, and so on, then I think we're really seeing that global supply chains are going to become far more fragmented or balkanized, as we might call it. So in my mind, that yes, we are moving towards the, the death of globalization or globalization may be on life support at the moment, especially with weaknesses of the institutions such as the World Trade Organization to force through further uh, liberalization. So it's an enormous subject, fascinating subject. Changes are definitely uh, underway. But yes, I think that we are seeing certainly signs that uh, globalization is being replaced by a very different uh, regime. A strong final point there from John. Thank you. Okay, take this content away and share it with your team. We hope that it can guide any difficult decisions that you're having to make at the moment. You can download the full report for free. The link is in the show notes. Thanks to Vicky, Nathan and John and to our partners at Agility. Find out more about Agility in the show notes. I'll leave it there for now. See you next time.